Ahoy, fellow candle f***ers! And welcome aboard the Joy of Trek, a kilt-clad podcast exploring the rainy moors and misty bridges of Star Trek, all, all of, of it. it. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And out on the weather control station is your chief engineer, Greg. Together, we're on a mission through the badlands of Star Trek to find the porn in every diary and the good in every episode, even the ghost candles. Because every episode must be someone's favorite, and it might as well be us. So strap on your spotter and join us as we caper toss into the, the joy, joy of, of Trek. Trek. <laughs> we are here to talk about everything good and everything fun about Trek. And yes, we are going to dish on a lot of things which are not correct I mean, and wrong. I mean, and you like, cannot <laughs> because there is some bad stuff, sure, and there is some really heinous stuff. stuff. In a franchise that is 70 years old. It's 55. Don't make me feel even older than I am. Hey, you're gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you for putting that straight. Yes, we don't expect us to be going through uh, a series or a season even. We're just going to be jumping back and forth between various episodes, various series, uh, no chronological order, because we would like to hear from the people out there which episode touched you personally. We know yes. what the... Good episodes are, everybody loves a good episode, but what is an episode that touches you personally and why? Because there are people for whom, like, episodes that are not widely beloved are really, really meaningful, and we would love to see it through your eyes. So we have got a lineup to start it up with, but yes, please, start sending us suggestions for episodes and tell us what touched you in this episode and why you love it. And you can do that via Chief, Chief Greg. That would be joyoftrek.com slash links. No. Uh, no, I'm trying. Like, I still can't hear him. No, we've but... got communication issues on our side. <laughs> so as I mentioned, we've got a whole lineup of really fantastic suggestions. And one of them came in from a friend of a friend, Mark Nixon, who runs the Shadows at the Door podcast of, like, pleasing horror, where he's gotten to work with some fantastic voice actors. And he asked a friend of his who was really, really into Star Trek to send in a recommendation. So say hello to Leah. Uh, and Leah has a, a recommendation for us, which is absolutely brilliant. It is Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 7, Episode 14, Sub Rosa. Yeah. Where Dr. Crusher attends her grandmother's funeral and spends time with her grandmother's haunted lamp, romanced by her grandmother's <laughs> non-corporeal lover. And it's all set in, like, fake Scotland. And it's amazing. <laughs> yes. And we're going to get into it. Um, a, a widely unloved episode. But Leah says, there is some suspension of disbelief like with most episodes of this show, but I don't understand why this got so much hate. I always wanted better episodes for Beverly and Troy than their usual hot alien boyfriend of their week. And this one feels different. It's not great. Leah, don't hedge. Yes. Hey, this is, this is an advice to everyone out there. If you send us a recommendation... Tell us that you know it's silly. We want to know why you think it's great, and yes. we will gladly support you on that, because that's what we did. But, says Leah, it's far weirder and more fun than it has any right being. Mixing a pervy sex ghost with a story about grief, clouding your judgment, and making you vulnerable to those who want to take advantage of you worked quite well for me. Yeah, yeah that's, that's important stuff to know. It's really insightful. <laughs> um, even if it became very serious towards the end, it deserves its place as a meme, but it's too interesting to be rated as low as it is. Thank, Thank you, you, Leah. Right, and that all said, let's see where we can start off with this. Oh, excellent, Kay. Well done. 
we start on for a second I thought oh wow did they go to an actual cemetery no because no. then you don't have perfectly framed like foliage around this this beautiful right lit. there's this, like building in the background like which looks like a church I guess which makes sense for a churchyard this whole set is amazing it's just this it's gorgeous I was actually sitting there like oh, misty they built it on a soundstage, I suppose. Right, yes, like, exactly. Uh, and they, they brought in a bunch of trees. Gosh, the budget on this. Everybody's I mean, they just have like trees in pots standing around for, for moving around different soundstages. All you have to do is throw a bit of turf and some leaves on top and it looks yeah, like they're planted. Yeah, no, that's not a big problem. But yes, we are having a little uh, funeral for Beverly's uh, grandmother. Yes. No captain's log or medical officer's log. We don't even start in orbit around a planet. We start on this planet. Yes. Most of the people on this colony will remember my grandmother as a healer. But her abilities went beyond that. She didn't just relieve pain and fight illness. She knew that well-being is more than just a healthy body. Her remedies often included words of advice as well as medicinal teas. And often they were just as bitter tasting. I love episodes of anything that have, like, deep personal connections. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that, explore the backstory of a particular character because that just, like, it's a huge gamble, right? Because of course, it, yes. It may not be cool, and a lot of people thought that this wasn't they cool. They were taking a lot of risks with this episode in more ways than one. Beverly, in a fine dress uniform, alongside mm. her two best friends from the Enterprise, yes. is attending her grandmother's funeral. That had me wondering. It's like, so do they th- do this often? Divert an entire flagship? For one of the crew members to be attend a personal affair and a funeral somewhere, you mean in a professional space exploration <laughs> right. agency yeah. or on Star Trek? Yes, well, <laughs> <laughs> because one of those answers is no, and the other answer is apparently yes. <laughs> They're fairly loose with where the Enterprise is and goes, and they seem to have a lot of leeway in deciding to stay and stick around for a few days in various places and just yeah, there's like. I mean, I have no idea how this goes in the regular Navy, but I would assume that it's, like, all quite meticulously planned. I mean, especially, you know, destroyer class or or, or aircraft carriers, I should say, that also have crashes and schools aboard them. Well, yes. Those especially take (laughs) (laughs) take great care. Very good point. Very good point. Hey, but maybe for that reason, they're kind of flexible. I guess, yeah. Right? There's a lot of buffer time, as it's called in Lower Decks. When you get an assignment, you exaggerate how long it's going to take, then you're a hero when it's done early. Eh, it's just a little buffer time. No biggie. In between missions to allow that kind of flexibility for families, you know. Right. Romantic excursions like this. So, yes, mysterious stranger drops a flower on the grave and gives Beverly a smoldering look before he fades off into the background. Hey, did you recognize him? I I know his face. He's been in a few things. Deep Space Nine, Shakar. No, no idea who that is, but he's got a familiar face. I know he played Zorro as well, and... Uh, <laughs> oh, yes! Oh, that's where he's from! And he played the commander in V, the uh, 80s alien invasion series. Oh, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> wow! <laughs> awesome! Also very sort who, of sexy know, alien Who is Shakar again? He's Akira's second boyfriend and, like, prime minister, because... Oh, him, yes, prime minister. The, well, prime minister Longface, annoying... Is he annoying? I thought so. I mean, oh, no, wait, I'm thinking about the other one. You're thinking about Jaro. Yes, sorry. Uh, played by... Uh, well, we'll get to that, I'm sure, at some point. Can I just point out some of the awesome people in this scene? We've got background actors in fine Highland outfits. yes. They're all frightfully doer, as befits inhabitants of uh, uh, the Highlands. And plus, then, plus, it's a funeral. Huh? Of course. I will miss Felisa Howard very much. 
her healing, her advice, and most of all, the inspiration she has provided me throughout the years. And over Beverly's shoulder, there's this grey-haired gentleman. He's out of focus, but you immediately sort of notice that uh, he's not quite... That's not quite what humans look like. No, he's not. And then he gets some focus. He's got like an extreme widow's peak or his species feature. There's also another person who, after the amen is said, like some person kneels in front of the grave. And I thought it's like one of the one of the visitors maybe tossing some soil onto the casket, but it just remains kneeling. No, that's the one of the grave diggers. That's the person who activates the mechanism which lowers the uh, casket. Oh, oh, excellent. Well, fine dress for... Uh, uh, <laughs> which is only lowered for a little bit. It's like it's only lowered until it's just below the surface. Yes, it's... As opposed to... Ceremony, yeah. Lowered all the way down. Tremendous yeah. hazard. Yes. I've had the privilege of being a pallbearer for my grandmother on the Indonesian side, where I had the less excellent distinction of being head and shoulders taller than all my other <laughs> cousins. So, wow. And my cousin Jeremy, oh, I love him so much, but he is a very bad navigator when it comes to navigating a casket or, uh, around it. Like, there was no place for me to put my feet that wasn't into the hole for the grave. Oh, wow. You're supposed to take it wide, guys. That's yeah. why you leave it to I mean, professionals. I was going to say, usually they have a few professionals around to help it, when even in when, when the family does the carrying the casket themselves. There's like usually a few yeah. professionals hovering about to make sure that nothing untoward happens. We are a stubborn family. We cut after the credits to Troy and Beverly standing there, kind yeah. of chatting next to the open grave. After It feels a bit odd. You know, you kind of leave the grave and that's it. And then you go off somewhere else and then you have like your little chat. You don't just kind of have a little chat beside the grave and then just wander off without... Well, it, it feels it feels strange to me. You know, it's maybe that's how the, they deal with it. But thinking about the funeral of my other grandmother, and this was on the Northern Irish side. Yes, after the actual ceremony and the lowering of the uh, the, the casket, we all went to the the, the pub and right, had a, yes, exactly. you know, a, a wonderful family to do. But in the, there's there's a bit of sort of a time gap in the middle there, where yeah, people were sort of standing around the uh, the whole, and it felt weird to me as well. But I also got into like. It's done now, mm. right? This is sure. this is no longer, you know, the, the the remnants of our grandma. It's a grave now, right? Yeah, okay. Right? And you can just have a chat there, sure. Uh, and I love how many. Like, this is the first of many, many wonderful scenes between uh, two very good friends on the on the Enterprise who don't usually get conversations that pass the Bechdel test. Very good point. Yes, Caldos Colony is a most impressive accomplishment. I actually feel as if I'm in the Scottish Highlands. Well, that was the intent. The cornerstone of every building in town was brought from Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen. The founders wanted everyone to feel that they had a piece of the real thing here. They didn't want to just imitate Scotland, they wanted to recreate it. I like that, or at least the terraformed. Right, uh, yes. Also the, a, a terraformed, yeah, we'll just... You and, know, yeah. as cool a concept as, as this is, there is a sort of environmental catastrophe associated with terraforming, right? I know, right? And like the, how many species did you have to eradicate? Well, I mean, I assume that they have a certain amount of leeway in that, that they like only terraform places with... Uh, I mean, they have prime directive rules, so... 
I'm yeah. sure they have like rules for like how much bacteriological life they're allowed to destroy or not. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just use another a Genesis two device there. That'll right, be fine. Something, something along those lines. But uh, it's also something that's like I'm going to get off my chest anyway. Like okay, now, do now, it. Now, now that we're talking about it, any about the terraforming. It's like this is a hundred year old terraforming colony. Okay, and they're having a little wee problem with the terraforming system. Wouldn't a hundred year old terraforming colony have like terraforming engineers, people who Maintains, but no. Can we please have a starship engineer look at it? Because starships are so much like terraforming systems. Like, they know absolutely like they they work with warp drives and phasers all the time. But can we please have them look at our terraforming equipment? Because we really don't know what we're doing with it after a hundred years. Yeah. Well, this is this is Star Trek, isn't it? I mean, the, we have the 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 finest experts in in we their field. We don't see a single Girl. person from the colony working on the ship except Ned, his face, who's just trying to rip it apart because he's. You're clipping so badly on I this microphone. So, You're getting sorry. really excited. Come on, keep it, keep it down. I'll try to sit back a little bit. <laughs> but I do get what you mean. But that's not the part that I'm the most worried about. I can totally imagine that okay. they set this planet up and then just leave the systems on auto and not have any any engineers, no oh, staff capable because, of maintaining like, it. No, nah, just leave that. Well, yes, because we know how frighteningly reliable Starfleet equipment is. What I can't stomach is the idea that an entire planet was turned into the Highlands. Fair. That's a... Well, they My, don't, because they, 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 they specifically mention a desert region. I am reading unusually high humidity across the entire southern desert region. Oh, where the they? storm is brewing. Yes, no, absolutely. Oh, okay. So, so the, it's the a... colony area is like highland modeled, and probably the rest of the uh, planet is being uh, frelled by the uh, climate systems to make sure that that place always stays like Scotland, that one day in autumn when the weather is perfect. And the... uh, yeah, <laughs> and that the caber toss is yes, ruined by exactly. a sudden downpour. <laughs> Have you been to Scotland? That's how caber tosses go. Yeah. Unexpected downpours, <laughs> you just continue. Good, great. Okay, now I'm the one who's clipping. We're going to have to do something about these microphones. They're very good, but gosh, we do get emotional. Also, don't say frailing. Sorry. We're not doing Farscape anymore. Know, it's Star sorry. Trek now. Well, and in I, Star I, Trek, we say f***. Oh, we just bleep it out. Fair enough. Okay. Actually, we don't bleep it out. I think I think Tilly says, You guys, this is so f***ing cool. Is it? Oh, Yeah. Wow. I guess we're allowed to do that in these days. But yeah, sorry. It was like all podcasting habits die hard. <laughs> Try not to. <laughs> I love the idea that there are themed colonies in, oh, yes. in the Federation, that we're just going to build one. Okay, what's this one going to be? It's going to be a North Pole to South Pole onsen. <laughs> what? Right? North Pole to South Pole onsen? Yeah, just a, a full continental onsen. Just the whole planet, is everything. One, is it kind of, kind of like, uh, uh, what's it, Riser? Oh, I have a particular... <laughs> Risa is not my favorite planet. No. I have a problem with a series that imagines that... Oh, no, 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 no. We're doing it. We're in the joy of Trek. Yeah. We're not in the frustration of Trek. <laughs> There's so many podcasts about that already. I know. Very true. But look at this. Like, she's processing grief. She's not terribly overcome. Like, she had no. a, a good relationship with her grandmother. She's a woman of, of age. Probably saw it coming. Over a century. Yeah, she... But still, like, she asked for her friend to come along to the house. Yes. Wait. Oh, do you mind? Yeah, I can imagine that it'd be nice to have a little bit of company. You know, exactly. Like, to scare of the ghosts. Well, well, didn't really work very well in that regard. I'm going to head back to the ship. You don't have to leave. I just thought you'd like some time alone. I'll see you later. Thanks. 
she walks in, explores this great set with fantastic yes. foley work, like the creaking floorboards, and find this photo with a, the most remarkable green eyes on her grandmother. Yes, uh. which everybody except her mother and her had. Yeah, well, it seems like it's the family tradition. There's an almost implicit requirement of, like, every Howard woman would have to have a single daughter. Right. Because yeah. if they had more than one daughter, what? who was the ghost's f***ing? Whichever one the ghost at, fancied more. At any, at or, any given time. But then they'd notice that the eyes were changing, or... Fair. I mean, they'd literally say, like... Have you, have you changed the colour of your eyes? Oh, I love you know, that. So apparently this is not, not unusual that someone goes like, eh, I want to have blue eyes for a while. Oh, that's a really good point. So in comes Ned, who just like... <laughs> It's just like this wee angry Scotsman who starts You're meddling in You're skipping over these cool, oh, these cool moments. I'm where sorry. Sh- no, I, I, I'm just really into, like, we have a, like a 20-minute a sort of lingering scene of her sitting in a chair and rifling through books, which I kind of I no, love. It looks uh, so sure. cosy. Yeah, no, and okay. then she picks one of those books. Yeah, yeah. where she finds a journal, and she takes she it in the blanket and, like, upstairs. She smiles, and she goes like, oh, yes. And then she is awoken by the sound of someone blowing out a candle. Like, yeah. Not him busting through the door, but blowing out the candle. She goes, oh, who's there? Also, did you notice how she talked about... Uh, so, she remembers her mother very fondly, mm-hmm. but she mostly remembers Nana, who raised her after the death of her mother. Right, yes, who is this woman. So, this isn't her mother, this is her grandmother. Exactly. Yeah. And that she used to, like, sit there by this candle while Nana told her ghost stories. Mm. Hey, what the f- kind of stories is a ghost f***ing woman telling her... Because that's what first Nana was doing. First-hand stories? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those must have been some awesome stories she was telling to a little Also, uh, I'm pretty sure there's, there's plenty of ghost stories from Scotland. I mean, that's basically this whole episode. It's like they try to make a gothic ghost story into a Star Trek episode. Yeah, which is incredible. I was among those who didn't love this episode when it came out. Uh, no, you the, know, as, a, as a young nerd. Yeah. Well, there was you? a lot of... The, the, there was a quite a very strong split straight down gender lines. Okay. Female fans loved it. Male fans did not love it. And there was a correlation between the more of a hardcore uh, Star Trek fan you were, the less you loved it. Well, okay, fair. Chief Engineer Greg here. The issue of consent and abuse and isolation that runs this episode that Beverly goes through is not something that we're just now seeing now when we're looking back on it. It was something that was discussed at the time. The issue of consent and abuse and isolation that Ronan goes through is not something that we're just now seeing looking back on. In an article published by Kent State University Press by Robin Roberts in the spring of 1999, it is noted that Beverly never explicitly consents to what's happening to her, whether it be physically, emotionally, anything. There is never any explicit consent given here. There is never any explicit consent given. And the actions of Ronan that he takes throughout this are very typical for abuse in that it is isolating, it is making her dependent on him, she quits her job, she's removing herself from her friends. This is very textbook abuser behavior, and I feel like if we don't mention that this episode is well and truly about abuse and surviving abuse, then it would be a disservice to what this episode is about. I've come back around to it. And and this is also, I think, why this was such a great choice to start our podcast with, yes. because... You know, first of all, if we can love this, then we can do anything. <laughs> Very good point, yeah. Because Star Trek can be anything. 
right? Yes. You know, like the adage of the, the wise kung fu master, everything can be kung fu. This biscuit can be kung fu. Yeah, this biscuit can be Star Trek. That teapot can be Star Trek. Mm-hmm. The, the reflection in the mirror can be Star Trek. Anything, like it's, Star Trek is not a, a, a set of continuity or, a, or, or or whatever, because what what is continuity except like a convenient contrivance for cool storytelling, if that's what you want to do, or you Fair. abandon it, yeah. if that's in service of, of telling a good and story. they've done, done that a lot with recent Star Trek, where it's like, yeah, this is like reimagining, so not long no longer canonically the same universe. Uh, I have a strong stance on that, especially the parts that take place before Kirk took over the Enterprise. So therefore, it takes place before the first episodes of Star Trek, the original series, where they had time warp factors and they were working for the UESPA or Earth Space Command or sometimes the Federation or whatever. Okay, so clearly time was in flux back then (laughs) and continuity hadn't settled down yet until... Maurice Hurley was brought into Star Trek The Next Generation and hopefully like Maltzin whatever his name was Gene Roddenberry's terrible lawyer went to hell where he belonged sorry I've no idea what you're referring to but fair enough we'll get there we have a lot of podcasts ahead of us yeah let's save some for later what the hell are you doing get out of my house I'm gonna be so high and mighty with me Beverly Howard Crusher I spent more time here in the past five years than you have in the past 20 how do you know who I am I'm Ned Quint. Uh, Worst Scottish accent of all time award goes to... Ned? Ned, yes, bless him. Yeah, he's like this weird little gremlin who is like <laughs> hell-bent on trying to get make off with the candle because he knows that it's bad. We don't never learn how or why. Yeah. But he just knows that it's like, it's got What's ghosts What's your in- problem with it? It's got ghosts in. Oh, didn't I like the candle? It's like, it's brought nothing but trouble for your family. It's like, not that we know of. Yeah. What's the problem? She lived to be a hundred. She was yeah. beloved by the entire community. She had really good sex. It's tons of great sex. She had kids that like she had fantastic relationships. What was wrong with this woman's life? I know, right? Like it rules. It's, it's completely unclear what his opinions are based upon. Like maybe I don't know. Maybe he was jealous. I, I have no idea. It's oh, uh, he didn't know her quite well. So true. Actually, maybe it was similar to how Troy and and Picard are worried about Beverly. Yeah. You know, so she. she very abruptly resigned her commission, which is a power move that I hope one day to be able to emulate. Sure, but this guy, like, she's been, like, under the spell of this ghost for, like, decades. Okay, we've got to figure out the math on that. Right. Because as we learn in the journal, this Ronan is 34 years old. Right. He's 34 years old. And Nana met him at the funeral of her mother. Yes. They met just after my great-grandmother's death. So if that was 15 years ago, was probably, he a yeah. spring-heeled 19-year-old buck? Was he, he like probably a, was still 30. He a surfer a bit, I'd say he looks old for a 34-year-old. Yeah, Hollywood 34, you know. Yeah. That is. Does he stay 34 in all of her journals? I think so. I mean, it's probably not something that's mentioned often. I mean, she's probably not writing down every other journal entry like, oh, my 34-year-old lover. <laughs> you know, you sort of sound like <laughs> Rasputin becoming a vampire. My 34-year-old lover. <laughs> no, but like, if great-grandnana died even perhaps before Beverly was born, and it would have been unfortunate considering the longevity of, of humans here, then when was he 34? At the time of Nana's death? Was she reading, like, the last journal or the first journal? Yeah, but it doesn't matter, does it? Well... 
She is at this point not yet affected by the brain fracker. She should be able to do math. Hey, 64 years ago, yeah. this man was 34. So yeah. now, carry the one, subtract the one. She can do this. She's a scientist. <laughs> She's stricken with grief. She doesn't like think about these things. And Is that what you're getting from No, from absolutely her? not. No, no she's, like, she's, she's a little bit melancholic. Uh, especially when she finds the journal and starts leafing through that and it's like grabs Nana's old blanket and wraps it around her and goes, oh, I'm just going to settle down for a nice little snoop through my, for my grandmother's journal. And <laughs> I was a little creeped out by that yeah. as well. But it's also valid. I know, but it's like... Right? Family, it's a, it's a little bit of an invasion of privacy. But you know, they're dead now, so it doesn't really matter. Right. I think it's, I think it's much different for a young person. Right. I mean, to be honest, if you keep a journal... Even if you're keeping it for private purposes, if you don't want anybody to read at any time, you take measures to ensure that. Yes, you you have a pact. Right, and then that's, right. What, that's what I'm saying. Like, as long as the person is alive, then no, you obviously don't read someone's journal without permission. No. After the person's dead, you know, if they didn't want it read, then they should have done something about it during their lifetime. Yes, then you have a pact, as we have, <laughs> right. that, that should anything unfortunate happen Delete to either of us... Delete my browser history. <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> blast the cache! <laughs> we have a cache blasting pact. <laughs> so maybe that's what he was here to do, and he just can't admit it, that he was, like, keeping her talking while he was figuring, like, this pad of... Delete, yeah. delete, delete. <laughs> I uh, shouldn't have focused on the light. But, yes. Meanwhile, on Enterprise, the governor is getting a little bit of a tour there. And, yes, like, Geordi and Data are just massively showing off again. Governor, did you know you had a power fluctuation in your weather control system? No. Our weather control's been working perfectly for the last 22 years. No, I can't isolate the exact source, but the fluctuation seems to be originating from one of the substations that regulates atmospheric humidity for the colony. Is this going to be a problem? No, not yet, but... Power distribution patterns are already off by 5%. Because, of course, yeah, you don't have a, like, the entire planet is dependent on a, uh, a terraforming system. So, of course, there's no engineers who know how to run that themselves. <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe that is indeed the case. That it's so, like, once terraformed, then it's going to be fine. And you just have right. a little automated weather system that, you know, you can just, you know, yeah. that's fine. We'll come by every 10 years to give it its uh, uh, tune-up. And, ah, lately, some, some gremlins have crept into the system. Oh, well. Uh, I'm sure that a wonderful starship is going to breeze by at some point and deliver us some engineering insight. Uh. It's always so weird seeing someone on the Enterprise who has decided on a completely different theme for his outfit than anyone else. Oh, you mean someone who doesn't wear a uniform? Yes, but also, like, the people who, who come on are often, like, dignitaries or other scientists or yeah. whatever, and they're wearing clothes that are appropriate to that role in their culture. And then this dude is a... He's a mayor. He's a governor of essentially a LARP town. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah, that's, I get that, yeah. It's uncharitable, but that's kind of what they're doing. They, they, they want to have this fiction. They want to yes. have fireplaces. and So it's kind of weird to see him... Here. Mayor, mayor of Larftown. I'm going to have to remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love this character. He, he, he doesn't really get to do much, and he sort of vanishes from the story at some yeah. point. I mean, he's not that relevant. I mean, he gets mentioned that they need his permission to exhume the body, but that's about it. Yeah. Yes. Beverly goes, have a little more light bedtime reading in her mother's journal. Yeah, which she tells Picard about. Yes. And you can see his face like, ooh. Seen that the Howard women have exceptionally vigorous libidos. I certainly hope so. After all, I hope I can find a handsome young man in his 30s when I pass the century mark. Hell yeah. 
she leaves him like, okay, well, bye. I'm off to read some of my grandmother's erotic stories. Thirties. Yes. They've kind of had a little off and on again thing, you know. Picard and Beverly, they've also had a yeah, not, not much of a will they, won't they? But a little bit of that. Did they? Didn't they? Right. And he's like baffled at the idea of a, a sexual tryst with someone in their thirties, yes. as if that for him is even like, oh, oof. now give me someone with a bit more experience, please. Fair. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe she just, like, favors enthusiasm over experience. And again, like, we have a 34-year-old ghost who has been around for 800 years, so, you know, that's, like, best of both worlds. Um, oh, nice! She's got a lovely bedspread, does Beverly. She's yes. Got a really, she's got a really nice bedroom. She's Probably uh, taking that out of her grand's uh, yeah, well, apartment nice as thing. well, maybe not. We see a little bit of blanket slippage and her shoulder Ooh. being exposed, and she sits up and, like, oh... Yeah, this was already the start of, like, real whiplash from one scene to the next, because she is clearly upset. And mm. then the next scene, she's hanging out with, with Deanna. Yes. And she's sort of cool with it. Like, yeah, like oh, it was actually kind of hot. It was, it was. Like, it was like, Deanna, it's like, I love her wide-eyed expression in these shots. She's just sitting there going like, oh? <laughs> yeah, oh, tell me more. And it was good. It was like, felt best thing ever. And He knew exactly how I liked to be touched. And, well, we'll read two chapters next time, then. Yes! <laughs> she wrote... <laughs> she wrote very detailed descriptions of her experiences with Ronan. Well, that's bound to cause a dream or two. Okay. I know this isn't something that we normally do. Wait, no. I don't like the sound of this. How would you feel about doing a quick diversion and doing a little dramatic reading of what I think her journals must have been like? I'm not okay with this. Is that okay? Okay. Do you have anything prepared? No, but I am Googling it right now, and it won't take me long because I'm very, very familiar with Oh, there it is. Oh, I was going to say, aren't you just going to tell ChatGPT to write an entry of the... There is an ongoing writer strike, which hopefully has been resolved by this time. Let's not make any jokes about ChatGPT <laughs> taking over. No, no, no. We're better than that. Okay, so I'm sending you this, and how about we do a little reading together of, supposedly, an excerpt from Rough and Ready by, by Sandra Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay, so I'll kick us off, and then you can take the, the second paragraph from just alternate. And this is, I am convinced, what the journals were like. Okay. Her long hair, still wet from the shower, had been combed back in a wet swath. Hilda was sitting on the floor, her round, wet boobs still wet from the shower's water. She dried off the water with a towel, which then became wet. Hilda gasped when she saw a reflection in her bedroom mirror. Though through the slightly open door, she caught a glimpse of the chiseled abs and square jaw of the mysterious stranger who shared her cabin. Slower. She stood and spun around, Yeah. her breasts swinging heavily with the momentum. <laughs> so she hard. grabbed the door and flung it open, revealing shirtless Torolf, which was seriously his name, <laughs> quivering with desire in the hallway. <laughs> I'm sorry. So this is not a true excerpt from that novel. No, I know what this is. I do believe that Torolf was the name of a person in this novel. Okay. Uh, Torolf was ashamed at being caught, but his shame made him even hotter. Hotter for sex. He stepped into the room and his bulging abs accidentally smushed into Hilda's rich chest. How tall is he? <laughs> no, just, the abs just go up to his okay. chin. As Hilda's buttermilk bosom squished up against his granite abs, Torolf almost had a dick aneurysm. 
Wow. <laughs> this is going to be the new Eye of Archon. Yeah. Let's see if we can do this straight-faced. No. No. Hilda, Torolf muttered thickly, his throbbing meat wand pressing against Hilda's warm thighs. There is a secret I need not tell you. You are my forbidden desire. Hilda had been waiting to hear these words. Her heart was lifted on golden wings and oh. soared towards a radiant sun of perfect joy. Oh. She saw herself and Torolf happy together, bathed in the golden light of love. Her snooch got all warm too. <laughs> Torolf! <laughs> now stay on, stay on target! Torolf, Hilda moaned, her lush teeth straining with desire. I need you! Torolf, coarse apps pulsing softly in the moonlight, stood silently. <laughs> Hilda looked at him expectantly. Oh, sorry, she added. Torolf, I need you sexually. Ah! At hearing those beautiful words, Toro flexed his rough-hewn abs and Hilda found herself being guided to her soft bed by the sheer force of Toro's undulating midsection. <laughs> she parted her thighs in anticipation, exposing the soft pink petals of her clunch. Wow! <laughs> Toro entered her like she was a lottery. <laughs> it's a good... <laughs> His engorged pecker pushed inside her and she felt fulfilled with sexual fulfillment. Hilda clutched at the bedsheet with lust and ecstasy at her hands. And her hands <laughs> Her spongy love mountains hurled to and fro with each pounding. Oh, no. Her body was like a beautiful flower that was opening and somebody was pushing their dick inside. <laughs> Torolf moaned, arched his back and suffered from Dick Parkinson's. He pumped in all of his hot pearlescent sperms as Hilda spasmed with so many orgasms. The two lay still for a moment as the stinky scent of lovemaking billowed around the room. <laughs> Hilda got out of bed, still shimmering with orgasm. She glowed with contentment like a cat who ate the cream of the crop. She walked across the room and picked up her towel, still wet with shower water. Good callback. Torolf, she said softly, there's something I have to tell you. But her bed was empty. Torolf was gone, escaped out the bedroom window. In the distance, Hilda heard the fading sound of galloping ants. <laughs> An excerpt from Rough and Ready by Sandra Hill. And wow. I'm sure the novel was better than this, and I, I don't know the original author of this work, I'm afraid. Greg, do you know? It definitely was not Sandra Hill. Digging through, I'm seeing this was popping up in April of 2012, uh, on the earlier side. While it is not real, uh, the... Genesis from the meme is the fact that the book does contain the phrase dick attack when Toroff saw Hilda. So do with that what you will. So, yeah, you can see why she would have been distracted from the personnel review that Troy is trying to do. Yes, she tries to get her attention, but yeah, it mostly turns out with like, read more and enjoy it. It's basically what she's saying. Beverly goes back to the grave where she finds old groundskeeper Willie. Yeah. And they both sort of, like, apologize. He he wants to give her her space, and she says, yeah. well, I, no, I'm That's sorry, fine. we yeah. got off on the on the wrong foot, which I like. And they're able to to tell each other, like, what's, what's going on, except the rift between them only grows because yes. he sounds heckin' superstitious. You believe what you want, lass. Just dinner light that candle. Why not? It'll bring the ghost. It's his home. Oh, he's out now, wandering across the land, angry. Angry up and driven out. That's why he's bringing the storms. Dinner light the candle and dinner go into that hoose or before you know it. They'll I'll be never, burying I'll, another Howard in the cemetery. I'll, I'll never set foot in that hoose again, yes. And then suddenly green lightning uh, strike, basically. Yeah. Well, lightning, lightning in the sky and suddenly the grave's covered with flowers. 
which it wasn't at the beginning of the scene, so... Oh, wait, was it? Nope. Whoa. It's bare when... Whoa, uh, you're right! It's bare when they when she arrives, and when she when the, the lightning goes off, suddenly the entire grave is covered in wow, fire. Wow, that's amazing. And then we cut to the bridge, which is just whiplash, again, yeah. of, of sort of thematic and, and sweet... Oh, by the way, how does this work, Howard women? The Howard women, Yeah. I mean, in current Western European or uh, Western sort of naming traditions, women change their name when they when they get married, yes. right? And there's uh, the concept of maiden name, which is a tradition that maybe we can do without, and other cultures do no. do better. But so, is there a matrilineal name as well? So she changed her name when she got married. Oh, she was born a Howard. She was. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Or maybe her, her mother. Yeah, her mother was a Howard as well. I, maybe, I don't know. I mean... Maybe they're doing the Spanish style of naming, where right. uh, you inherit a matrilineal name from your mother and yeah. a patrilineal name from your father, and you pass on one of them depending on the gender identity of the child yeah. that you have. Or maybe he's, you know, I don't know what your surname is, so I'm just going to call you by a Howard woman because, you know... I like it. So storm is a brewing. This is where they mention the desert. And uh, Oh, right. A lot of electrical activity, yeah. like a green cloud. and ooh. Captain, I suggest we set up a power transfer between the Enterprise and the weather substations. Try to give them enough power to stabilize the storm. Make it so. It's a really cool sort of a dolly shot with Data and Geordi sitting behind the glass of the engineering section. You see the, the reflection of the mm. warp core. Yeah, they do that. I've seen that kind of shot before. But yeah, it's, it's, it's when they're sitting in the little side room for yeah, the little, main... Uh, yeah, little side office. Beverly runs into the hoose away from the rain and there's just a lot of flowers there. There's just like... Oh, Again, yeah, this, oh, seems, to be, this, this seems to be a Ronin thing. Like providing lots of flowers. But yes, this is the ghost spookiest part of the movie because there's a lot yeah. of the episode because there's a lot of her like gasping around the living room trembling mirrors which she looks in which she drops when she suddenly sees Ronan's reflection in them uh, really well shot and uh, he's a lot of handheld work not yeah. easy to do focus pulling there and he starts to talk to her and she's going up the stairs who's there Ned? Is that you? Hello? She is being attacked, right? Essentially, yes. Psychically, yes. physically. He is starting to do his thing, which he needs to. He needs to anaphylactic shock or whatever, whatever the anaphasic. Yeah. Uh, that's and, she's, and she's feeling that she's not herself. Like, what's, what's happening to her? And she's, she's utterly distraught by it. Yes. Oh, what's, what's happening to me? We're becoming one, Beverly. We're going to be together. I don't understand. Stop it! And then we whiplash back to she's she's on the Enterprise, yeah. and then she next morning is fine with Troy it. Troy pokes her head around the corner, going, "Hi, are you going uh, to Batleth practice?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I'm going to skip it today. I'm exhausted. And she goes, no, I think I'll just stay in and just jerk it all, all night all night long again. No, but, like, this is the, the moment where I thought, okay, her, her mind is being f***ed with. Yes. <laughs> because, like, you do not come out of a night like that where you're you're this distraught and then just wake up feeling fine about it. Well, and also, oh, she's, oh, like, also, also she's moved from the planet back to the Enterprise at some point. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot missing there. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, yes. Great direction by Jonathan Frakes, though. Like, oh, yes. And a fantastic performance, I've got to say, by uh, by Beverly Crusher, because a scene like this Both, where I guess. somebody's... Uh, 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 Gates McFadden, of course. Where, like, there's nobody else around, and she has to keep the scene interesting while a ghostly voice speaks very slowly off camera. Yeah. Uh, without seeming completely silly, and she, she actually... Actually manages. Oh, uh, hi, Bev. Reminded me of uh, uh, Tommy Wiseau from The Room. No, please continue. <laughs> yes, Troy cautions Beverly, saying that, like, well, a shared grief uh, made uh, feel like affection or even attraction. Amazing. Yes. Uh, she uh, plays She plays a fantastic counsellor. She really does. Her counselling is on par this episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could also read it as her just being a really good friend, but like she's right. emotionally... Yeah. It does start with a little bit of a cheesy thing where Beverly just won't admit to, yes. to what she's doing. I met someone, that's all. Well, you obviously have romantic feelings for him. Beverly, when are you going to realise that you can't fool me? Who is it? Fair enough, yes. Okay, fine then. Which is, you know, I guess... My girlfriend's on a sleepover. Uh, and then it's Doon on the bridge, isn't it? In order to make it clear that stuff is happening, there is a uh, no, no, nice little fog field on the uh, bridge. There has been a malfunction in the ship's environmental control. We've traced the problem to the power transfer beam. There's some sort of feedback coming from one of the colony's weather substations. Another power fluctuation? Okay, so we can't turn off this power transfer. That is directionally being sent from us to yeah, there. Yeah, this thing's kill the breaker. You know? Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> well, anyway. But maybe that would cause damage. We yeah. see a... <laughs> they usually build breakers to... Well, anyway. We see a, a quick shot of the Enterprise in orbit, like, beaming the, the energy down to the surface, but, like... That's, from, that's coming from the phaser ring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, the ship is moving fast enough that the angle of the beam has oh, to adjust. Yes. Like, they are. They're minutes away from crossing the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> it looks cool, but either you're going to cut off your own pylon uh, or you're going to... <laughs> yep. Into the power substation we go. Geordi and, and Data find Groundskeeper Willy is messing with the controls. Yes, because he's trying to break the conduit, which... You don't understand. Oh. And he gets zapped by the power... Uh, yeah, there's a there's a green spark, and Data just gives up on him straight away. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, he's dead. It's like, no emergency transfer to a sick bay or anything, because, like, you know, he's only just, like, literally only just being killed. It's like that... This is the thing that they do on Star Trek a lot, just before a, a commercial break when someone has died. Yeah. Then both of them are standing around the body, or all three or five or six or however many with the, of them are, and one of them says, oh... He's dead. And they all look at each other, and then they look at the body, and then we fade to black. That's right. how we do it here. And then it's like commercial. And after the commercial, everybody is kind of like doing investigative work. Jordi is looking at what happened. I mean, there's also been an episode where Beverly Crusher herself, in the first season of, of The Next Generation, says, well, as long as the body hasn't been dead for more than 30 minutes, right. I can usually revive it. Yeah. Nah, don't worry about that. That's nah, not the case we anymore. We don't need that here. It's like... But uh, they do discover that it wasn't the plasma conduit blast that killed him, but more of the uh, anaphasic energy. As is explained in this lovely sort of Scooby-Doo setup where you have four people standing around a body looking down at it, explaining the situation to one another. Governor, with your permission, I'd like to take the body back to the ship to run further tests. Of course, Doctor. Ensign, ask Dr. Salar to run a biospectral analysis. Yes, Doctor. You're not going to run the test yourself? No, I have some things I need to attend to. So I have someone else to do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the last time that we see the little Governor. 
I think so, yes. With his, with he, his gets, he gets mentioned, but later, outfit. but that's about it. Yes. Beverly goes back to the cabin or the house and finally... Suspicious and distraught. Yes, but finally gets to meet... Uh, Torolf. Ronin, Ronin Torolf. Which we're calling him from now on, come on. <laughs> Torolf, okay. So Hilda In goes person. to Torolf. No. I need you to help me. Help you? It's not easy for me to take corporeal form. I can't do it for long. But it's going to be amazing. And, yeah, uh, yeah, he, and I can travel along the power transfer beam. Yeah, sure, cool. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, well. No, but like, Let's on the, I, I love it because on the one hand, there is a huge commitment to just a completely new genre. And on the other hand, still the insistence of the, the humanist scientific exploration of, of the wonders of space in Star Trek. Even though it's already established that he can like travel with, because he traveled, well, we don't learn that yet at this point yet, but like, you know, he, could, he just travels with the lamp. Yeah, like it's a conduit or, or whatever. Yeah, a place. Uh, uh, and she's overwhelmed by his touch like it's giving her a lot of a lot of pleasure the the melding begins basically this is where he is I mean it's probably already begun but he's doing it even more now it's alright we're together we're going to be one I'm going to become part of you Beverly would you like that oh yes more than anything as he was with your grandmother and your great grandmother and all of the Howard women before them there's an aspect of like addiction narrative or uh, yes. codependence. Oh, very much so. I mean, that's literally what it says. Like, at, right at the end, they, she, she goes like, well, there's this alien creature probably discovered that one of my ancestors was... Uh, the compar- Her cellular energy was compatible with his, and yeah. they started a... Uh, well, I, won't, I mean, I want to show... Is it parasitic? I don't think he... That's really, a good way I to do it. I don't think he takes anything from them. He just... It's more... Uh, what's the other one? Symbiotic? Symbiotic. Well, I mean, he does give them a lot of pleasure, but yes. he also dictates their life. Does he? To a, to a, to a certain degree. I mean, maybe... I, I don't think really see him dictating his life in much ways other than that he wants to keep her on the colony. Well, exactly so. But like, that's... Yeah. Because maybe that's Groundkeeper Willie's deal. Maybe maybe Nana was a really gifted, I don't know, a, a, a racquetball player in her, in her yeah. 80s, uh, and she gave that up to be with Ronan. Hmm. Right, in, yeah. in the way that, like, abusers in abusive relationships, like, right. isolate their, oh, yeah, yeah, their totally. partner. But she clearly from... didn't have that, because she was, she was well-beloved. She was, like, living the good life yeah, on, the plan, on the planet. That was, that was after. That was during that relationship. We do yeah. not know what she was like before. True. Maybe groundskeeper Willie does. Yeah. But that would imply she was already living on the, on the planet, on the colony. Because this is how fast it goes. Yeah. This, this ghost does some excellent finger work for Beverly, like, two times. Yeah. Dos. Yeah. And now she's on the transporter pad where the captain goes, oh. Beverly, what the hell is this? I thought it was pretty self-explanatory. I'm leaving Starfleet. Energize. Yeah. (laughs) Which she said with so much confidence. I love this so much. It's so hardcore. I'm leaving Starfleet. Energize. No hesitation. (laughs) God's like, belay that. (laughs) I wish I could do that. I'm going to do this from now on. Like, when I'm done with this episode, I'm leaving now. Energize. (laughs) Take this job and shove it, I believe the song goes. (laughs) And he's being very, like... Very restrained. Yeah. Do you want to just he's, get this yawn out, by the way? He's seething. Uh, no, it won't work. No, you're just going to... It won't work. Yeah. Just gonna, we're just going to have... That's the ghost of a yawn haunting yes. our episode. <laughs> She's done her hair different. She's wearing a different dress. She wants to become a healer. Yes. So basically still a doctor. Essentially, but like with less technology, I guess. Yeah. Hey, 
Could you be fine with that as a sort of medical professional who wants people to be better and then to provide substandard care? I doubt it. I mean, like, usually, usually at this point, like, something's gone wrong, you know? It's like they're yeah kind of like moving into quackery i mean it's like it, it has been known that like proper doctors move into quackery just like sometimes proper journalists move into uh conspiracy theory yes yeah, alas uh, this is not to dismiss like other uh medical traditions and, and 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 medical practice with fewer resources than in in hospitals of course doctors without borders like oh there's, yeah they are resource constrained but and still practice yeah. excellent medicine but uh, yeah apparently you can just leave starfleet in 20 minutes energize yeah as Troy says, like, well, yeah, she might not agree with her choice, but she has the right to make it. Yep. Apparently she doesn't have a right to privacy anymore, though, because she's she's discussing a lot of really pretty, like, <laughs> confidential details oh, yeah, with yeah. Picard. Like, even, even if it wasn't about, like, betraying the confidence of your friend, isn't she still covered under, essentially, space HIPAA? You'd like, think so, patient yeah. privacy? You yeah, are yeah. a counsellor. No, totally. But he's a captain, so maybe he's just... Lifted that on uh, on her behalf. Uh, not sure if it works like that, but who knows? They both questioned her her choice. I agree, but she does have the right to make that choice, even if we don't feel it's a good one. She is entitled to be an absolute idiot. But back on the planet, she is more than happy, and now she's like cradling her little candle. Okay, this is bothering me a little bit because like. They keep calling it a candle, but it's a lamp, not a candle, isn't it? I'm really glad you brought that up, because I agree. Oh, she always kept it lit. Candles, not yeah. known for being permanent no, fixtures. Exactly. But it's also not a candle, it's, it's a lamp. It's <laughs> I, I thought it was like, you know, a cup with a handle that you can put a candle in. Right. Uh, but even then, oh, I found out that There's the candle is plasma-based. point, yeah. Yeah, okay, so what does that mean? Yeah, what's it burning on? What's a plasma-based... Plasmas are very thin, very hot gases. It's mm-hmm. not really the kind like you find in a candle, but, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But we get the famous ghost f***ing scene. Oh, yes. And... <sighs> they were worried about that. Were they? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because they had to make... full Meg Ryan they in had, they Harry had, Met Sally. I know, they had to make it, like, look good and not... Apparently, a lot of material was cut here as well. Because essentially what we have here is... Jean-Luc walking in on uh, Beverly, who is getting Who's off. jerking it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, hey. Uh, the door was open. Oh, the, my, Mom, get out. I'm, dude, I'm busy. I'm doing my homework, Mom. You can't just go to respect my privacy while I'm doing my homework, Mom. I'm sorry, but... And, uh, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> yes, because she is fulfilled with sexual fulfillment in this moment. Yes. But, yeah, they were, like, they, they were really worried about, like, this. Uh, they, they also went, like, we got away with so much. We had no idea we'd, like, we could get this going. Because it's, like, you know, pretty racy for Star Trek. Yeah, well, I, I guess the sort of TV censors at the time weren't convinced of the existence of the female orgasm, so... Fair point. Right, they're still living in a previous century. Uh, so then I can think you can uh, you can maybe get away with this. You talked about the appreciation for this episode being split down down gender lines. I saw that quote as well, which I don't fully, like, believe. But what I did notice in, in looking at some of the reviews, like, the reviews of Gates McFadden's performance are split exactly down, like, people who, who appreciate and don't appreciate this yeah. uh, this episode because like those who find something good like Keith R.A. DeCandido from Tor.com like he thinks that she's giving a really nuanced performance throughout this episode yeah. like, I agree but loads of other people feel like oh she's clearly just phoning it in based on their revulsion of this episode I guess yeah there was an interview with Jonathan Frakes who directed this one and he kept it very abstract because the interview was sort of on the topic like sometimes you know that something's coming down the pipeline that's 
not quite ready, let's call it that way. Yeah. But this production group, I mean, DS9 was airing, they were doing 52 shows a year. And it was like an assembly line, essentially. You have to keep going. Nothing can come off it. Yeah. Because you just have to uh, uh, keep going. But I like it. Look at the lighting. It's gorgeous. Oh, it's, 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 it's great, yes. These sets are great. And this conversation is great because... I've made my decision and I'm not going to change my mind, so please leave me alone. Oh, no. There's something wrong here. Now, Beverly, this is more than just an obsessive love affair that has got out of hand. Tell me, why is it that no one has seen this Ronin except you? Like, is he even exist? Nobody's seen him. It's like, he's, he's expressing some genuine concerns. It's like, nobody's seen this guy except you. I'd like to meet him, you know, before I'm just going to leave, take the Enterprise and leave it. Exactly, uh, yeah. Beverly. We are on Star Trek and non-corporeal entities that only you and I can see. Like, that's, this isn't the first time. I know, right? Like, Beverly's seen plenty of weird shit. Like, she, she should She's know been that- through it. She's been in her own pocket universe. Yeah, it's like, they know, <laughs> <laughs> they know a lot of weird stuff goes on. And, uh, yeah, so Folgar, no, what was his name again? Tor- Torolf. Torolf shows himself. <laughs> Picard um, goes, like, where are you from? It's like, Glasgow on Earth. And I, I actually thought that was a cool thing. I was like, wondering if, like, Star Trek names happen like that, you know? Like, you have, like, uh, uh, Battersea upon Tyne, and, like, you can get, like, Glasgow on Earth. Or as oh, opposed to Glasgow yeah. on Rigel 4. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. I mean, it's sort of like in the, like uh, new, the 2009 new, Star Trek new, film. New Glasgow, new, new Glasgow, newest Glasgow, best Glasgow. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> feck off your Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Glasgow time infinity plus one. Yes, exactly. We're just like... <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the Scots. Oh, bless them. Oh, yeah, the, and you'd have an, a, a, like a little sub-federation of Glaswegians right, across various yes. planets. How great would, would that be? I mean, there's... What about... Uh, Gla- second Glasgow. <laughs> ah, seditionists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we swear now. Oh, thank you, Editor Greg, for bleeping those out for us. Hmm? Oh, sorry, I was reading some of Nana's journal. Uh, what, what, what were we talking about here? Picard is dismissed. Jean-Luc. In a way, one could say, wow, I, well, I misremembered the scene, and now I'm looking down at the sheep. <laughs> he, he basically gets zapped by the... Uh... Yeah, he gets chest zapped. And here is where I came around to really loving this episode. Okay. Because I did not love a narrative where a woman is manipulated, in fact, mind-controlled. Right. And it's sort of treated as if it's romantic, right? Well, that's that... how these things go. That's like how abuse like that goes, you know? It's like, uh-huh. uh, I, nobody can love you like I do, you know? That, that kind of thing. But even the reflection at the end, she reflects on it that there was something very romantic about it. Bullshit there was. <laughs> yes. Jerry Taylor, who wrote the story, and Brandon Braga, who wrote the screenplay. Like, uh, fuck off, it you guys. It felt romantic, but that's because it's meant to, and it's, it wasn't. Because like, you're being manipulated yes. and abused. But throughout all this, she's under the thrall. This is a, a professional, sensible, scientific woman who is unable to resist this sex ghost. And even at the height of her like addiction and dependency, her friend yes, uh, is her- in, in medical need. And she takes care of that because... Uh, and she rejects the ghost that she was yeah. unable to resist. She gave up her career for this guy, but she will not give up on a patient. Patient, no, because Torolf is going like, they're exhuming the body. We need to stop them. And she's like, no, I'm staying here with him. Yep. Not until Rick, uh, Ricard. Picard. Oh. Ricard is something else. Like, <laughs> I'm missing it's a little a bit of podcasting beverage. juice here. Yeah, actually. <laughs> what is it? It is... <laughs> it is... It is green. 
now that we are joined by our fourth co-host, Captain Rick Carhart. <laughs> and Greg, we would, we'd be more than happy to pour you one, but I know you're more of a rum guy. I was going to say, I have to send you a bottle at some point. You <laughs> can steam one up. Oh, yeah, that would be useful. Hey, don't worry, I've got my drink. Uh, it's definitely not sent the hull either, so we're good here. The captain is reassuring uh, Beverly that he's fine, and I'm just like, no, a tricorder says different. (laughs) 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 The fact that you've just been zapped. Captain, we have located the source of the energy residual. It appears to be concentrated within Felisa Howard's coffin. Why? What's the... Scientific? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, so they... they well, the anaphasic too- energy has now shown up several times. They've noticed it in the power station. They've noticed it in the, uh, oh, in the yeah, death of Ned. I am reading definite signs of anaphasic energy in her body. It appears to extend to the cellular level. That's impossible. She was nowhere near the weather station when Quint was killed. She died of natural causes. Yeah, I have some questions about the physics of this, because that's loose ground that's just been heaped on top of this coffin. Yeah. So it's on top of the coffin... And yeah. now the coffin is no longer underneath yeah. the ground. It's on top of the ground. So what doesn't isn't it going to sink, collapse? Yes, but there's two meters of ground in between. So there's now just a hollow two meters underneath ground. So eventually, yes. Yeah, right. Immediately, no. I would have liked it, though, if that just happened. Up and then immediately it sinks back <laughs> and just be flush with the surface, right? Because that's what how it would wind up. Well, I mean, presumably there's, there's a little mound on the grave. Stop Be- talking about Beverly's grandmother's mound. Oh, gosh. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we get Nana sitting in the coffin, who then immediately sits upright Ooh. as soon as Beverly shows up. Ghost! Yes, well, a zombie, technically, at this point. And she it basically turns into Yeah, it turns into Reanimator. Reanimate your feet! Because, yeah, she zaps both Data and Geordie. Knocks him out with her anaphasic energy. And Beverly has had enough. And she says, Stop this. Stop this, please. Thorolf manifests as himself rather than, I'm committed now. Well uh, done. <laughs> as himself. And he tries, like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be grand. We're going to be fine. But she has, will not have any of it. And she, he realizes that the gig is up. I could not pay attention to this scene because he was standing between two gravestones that said McFly and, and Vader. Vader. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess in 1994 television probably wasn't such a problem, but... This was a little it was a little uh, production joke <laughs> that they just put that on the gravestones. It's, it's very <laughs> distracting in HD, though. <laughs> There's no such thing as a ghost. You are some sort of anaphasic life form. Anaphasic energy is extremely unstable. It needs an organic host in order to maintain molecular cohesion or else you'll die, isn't that right? Beverly! I also scanned the candle. The flame is plasma-based. You were using it as a receptacle for yourself in order to get to me, in order to merge with me. You have been using me, Nana, my entire family for centuries! And I loved all of them! And they loved me! Yeah. And now realizing that she needs to do something and this is not a good thing and even though she's still severely under his influence, she's pushing that away and pushing through and seeing him for what he is. Which is incredible. Which is yeah. incredible because the uh, uh, like the amount of influence that she's under is stupendous. Mm-hmm. I, think he overplay- I think it. he overplays his hand by zapping Geordie again and uh, 
yeah, that kind of pushes her into the realization that yeah, this is not gonna also a popular abuser move. Right, right. Moving yeah. onto onto threats. Look what you Look, made, me, made do. me do. Yeah, and he tells her to put the lamp down because she realizes that the lamp is the last thing that can uh... because it's plasma based. Whatever, yes. whatever that is. And she just grabs Geordie's phaser and zaps it. Yeah, he does not like that at all. No, he's, he's so like, upset. Yes. I love Beverly's resting phaser face. <laughs> like, she doesn't blast a lot of people, but she always does it with, like, such focus and calm. Yes, destroy, destroy, destroy. This she, thing needs she, to be destroyed. I, mean, I guess she wields it like a scalpel. Uh, I was about to say, she doesn't exactly shoot from the hip, but neither no. is she really sighting. That's the whole point with phasers, you know? It's like, it's, it's point and click, really. It's like, people are really good at pointing at things. Huh. That is true. My husband gave me some advice after many, many years of being bad at bowling. And the advice that he gave me is when you throw the ball, then continue the arm. Your arm that does the throwing should point at the place where you want it to have gone. Yeah. And I've been doing that with darts as well. Just like yeah. moving my arm such that I can point my finger where I want it to go. And it's incredible. It works, yeah. It's because, is this yeah, how people are, do sports? I guess so. It's, it's one of the things that they teach you. you know, it's It's great. Yes, she blasts Ronan Thorolf, who says, "No, there's one more host." Yes, he, he comes literally leaping at her, and in mid leap, he she gets. Even if it must be burglary, she met, gets phasered. Oh, good uh, reference to uh, Whitney and I there. Yeah, thank you. And he, his final word, Bever, nope, and she shuts him up. I kind of love this sheaf. When you have a ghost trying to say her name, and she doesn't let him finish, she just phases him out of existence. Bever. Bever. Little cloud of green light. And we're all fine again. They hit the big red reset button. Yep. We fix the weather system, and there's a final uh, talk between Beverly and Troy. Yeah, they take their drinks over to the, the 3D chess table without any attention forward. play. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like... Kind of rude, right? It is a little bit. Although, I, guess, I suppose that, like, if it's a free seat and uh, someone else wants to play, they go, like, excuse me, are you playing? And then... It's like the done thing to then move and let people... Yeah, but like, shouldn't you anticipate that? Because now you're forcing somebody else to have an, an interaction sure. with humans, which but is the worst thing that you can but imagine. But it depends on how how busy it is in 10 forward at the time, and if like this table is like a little bit more private and uh, out of the way. I really want to talk more about this and not about how cool Beverly is with what happened and that, you know, it made her grandma very happy and that the abuse is now framed as, as something gothically was, romantic. Was, oh, yes. This is not okay. No, 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 it's not. Jerry Taylor, get yeah. yourself on. <laughs> boo. I have that written down in my notes. Boo, boo, boo throughout this button. But yes, that wraps it up. Sub Rosa. We don't have segments yet. No, we this don't. early on. We don't really don't. We, Since we, we're all about the joy of Trek, how yes. about this? Pick an enemy like someone that in this episode that you have chosen to hate doesn't have to be motivated you can be completely unreasonable the more oh. unreasonable in fact the better so like i'm not going to pick groundskeeper Willie for his bad bad scottish accent oh no continuing I the james Doohan tradition of canadians not doing great scottish accents <laughs> <laughs> well in that case i'm just gonna have to like pick the governor for like not having the technical capabilities of maintaining the system that his colony entire colony is dependent on <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pick. Oh, who's going to be my my nemesis, my Star Trek nemesis? Oh, ah, this is hard. We could, we, could, we could call it the Khan. The Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your Khan? <laughs> Very good. Oh, it's probably going to be one of the background actors for like not appearing anymore. I guess because this was a whole community. Surely Nana had had more than one friend. Uh, yeah, who I mean, everybody who showed else. up at the wedding. I mean, oh no, here, sorry, wedding. 
funeral. Yes, they're my nemesis because after this funeral, they clearly went off to the pub because that's part of that's you know, what a you do. Fu- yeah. funeral, and they didn't invite Beverly. I'm sure that she could have come. Maybe they forgot to tell they her. Would, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah, they forgot to tell her. Like, oh, well, that's the funeral over with. Let's all get into our cars and just drive our own merry ways and then meet up at Milligan's. We'll meet yeah. up at Milligan's at three. Shh, don't tell the one. Yeah. Don't tell the one in the, in the blue dress. God, she sucks. We remember her when she was a little girl and she was living here. It's like, yeah. It's like she we, was we, insufferable. Yeah, it's like, oh, worst teenager ever. <laughs> she, yeah. she, she refused to speak with the accent, you know. We're they, all they, really trying our yes. best. I mean, it's like everybody here speaks with and she just flat out refused. Worst case of teenage rebellion that I've ever seen in the last. <laughs> oh, probably the governor isn't invited either because he doesn't bother with a fake accent. Fair point, yes. I really liked him. Just because he said, you know, as a kid, my parents took me on a trip to Earth and we went to the Highlands and I really liked it. And yeah, if that feeling remains with you as an adult after you've seen the rest of the world and... Might as well, yeah. Then yeah, hell yeah, go for it. Go Rob Roy. (laughs) Rob Rob Roy. And there's also, like, I worried whether there was an aspect of cultural appropriation, Uh, which I don't think is the the case because there is... Well, nobody's wearing a kilt. Yeah, oh, uh, aren't they? Oh, there are some tartan... There it's is tartans, a little tartan but, at, but the, at the start. It's, it's, only, it's, it's only the, the grand kilt, the shoulder wrap. You see right. a lot of those, but you don't see actual, the, the actual kilt thing. Oh, fair enough. I wonder if this is more related to, like, the Scot-American experience, as in, you know, the American of Scottish descent. Right. Wait, wait. Scots-American? What was this? What? What? Uh, experience. Like, the Irish-American experience is quite different from the Irish-Irish. Yes. Like, that there is... Uh, a willful connection to a culture that maybe you don't actually know very well, yeah, but still have a, have a strong desire for, and even an innate knowledge that you are not that, right? You weren't born in Scotland. Guys, there's a Scots-American you can talk to right here. Someone, someone listen to me. Is, is there a problem with the communicators? Ensign, what's wrong with the communicators? I recently joked on one of the social media platforms. It's like, uh, I'm one f- of the surviving I, social media right, platforms. Right, well, one of the new, one of the, I wouldn't say newer because it's been around for a bit, but it's the elephant one. Mastodon, yes, right. I, I know. <laughs> but like, yes, as, as someone commenting like, oh, yes, I'm 4% Irish. Or like, and then the comment like, yeah, tell me that you're American without telling me that you're American. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, this is a, a mongrel nation, much as uh, right. Britain was described by uh, Eddie Izzard. One of uh, the people that I've been in uh, loose contact with over the last, two or three decades, commented exactly that U.S.ians have a strong cultural connection to whatever the culture Ancestral of their four culture, of, yeah. Because yeah, they don't have one of their own. Oh, well, <clears throat> sorry, I was no, saying that's that. No, that's not... I'm charitable. I know, I know, I'm being mean here, but it's... <laughs> and there is... It's something that is, like, looked upon with most Europeans with amusement of, like, oh, I'm Italian. It's like, no, you're not... It's like just because you were born in the Bronx, then you had like Irish and oh, sorry Italian ancestors. Yeah, but then make you're you Italian American, which is its right. own culture, its yeah. own its own thing. I mean, I've had this this experience recently in, in the uh, commemoration of the capitulation of Japan during the Second World War. The Dutch government uh, released an archive of digitized records of passport requests oh, yes. by Indonesian citizens wanting to come to the Netherlands, repatriating, I suppose, during the transition of power and the independence. And it included my great grandmother. So I got to see a photo of my great grand mother, whom I didn't know. And she wrote down the name of her father-in-law, so my paternal great-grandfather, that we didn't know. And we found him in birth records in the south of the Netherlands. It's really incredible to suddenly, like, see see someone's name in 1791 on a ledger. Right. Wasn't that 
didn't she like use her sister's passport or was that? That was some, my grandmother. That was your grandmother. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Yeah, that's yeah. because her. I, I saw her request as well. It yeah. wasn't fulfilled quick enough to make it on the only boat that they could afford, so oh, she had to right. fuss a little bit. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's. So Quite yeah, I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to this family history. Yeah, I can't imagine that I would therefore want to cosplay the island of Java in uh, uh, in the 1950s to sort of relive no, my that grandmother's would, experience. That would kind of be weird. Yeah, that yes. would be a little bit appropriative. But like, yeah, no, Betty Sop cosplay is not a good place. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yes, no, okay. up, yes, Bersiap. That's I always get that wrong. <laughs> Oopsie doodle. Yeah, if you want to have a great time learning about history, dive into, I mean, any, any, any post-colonies. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's always going to be messy. Anyway, uh, best moment, I would say, of the episode, because we were doing like, we got massively sad. Good luck with the editing there, Chief Greg. Good job. <laughs> Good job, yes. That you have done already so far, right? That <laughs> you will have already done. Hey, we should be in temporal investigations. We're very good with temporal grammar. <laughs> yes. Oh, now you're listening to me. Okay, great. Glad the communicators work. So, yes, happy to help. As a Scottish-American here, I do kind of have to say about the culture that there is something to feeling that connection to more of a history than you really get if you grew up like I did in a very homogenized, suburbanized environment. There's a richness that you can look at looking back at your history and seeing where your family came from and seeing what brought them over. What was the human story that brought your family over to the United States? That's been very rewarding for my family to experience and to learn about. This episode does feel a little more Scottish American than Scottish proper, but I can understand that if you're on a planet where humans never were before and you're settling there and what do you want to do to look back? You want to look back at the past. It's a very human experience to want to look back at the past, want to look back at where you came from and try and emulate that in some way. So there is something to that that I think is kind of romantic in a way. It goes to Troy. It's like her wide-eyed excitement during the first uh, breakfast conversation she has with yeah. Beverly about her suddenly... Uh, Amorous what? dreams and sex. I, I, like, I just oh. love how, how, how Troy is just sitting there with like wide-eyed with barely contained excitement about yeah well, <laughs> about, this is... about secondhand racy journal entries. <laughs> yeah, and her snooch got all warm too. As, <laughs> as with, no, I say that without without uh, irony. Like yeah, this is a cool thing to share. Like oh, and what a wonderful thing to have a friend that you can share that with and who feels comfortable. Totally that yes, with, that you can talk about another. these things and like. I mean, arousal is always a very private thing, usually. And, and I used to live in a very old flat in Amsterdam, yeah. uh, where the walls were thin enough that arousal is not a very private thing when you live in a thin-walled flat fair, in Amsterdam. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> I'm leaving Starfleet. Energize. Thank you for listening to this week's episode with your friends Kay and Kaki. Production and editing by your chief engineer Greg, and music by Fox Amour. Join us next time for Voyager Season 2, Episode 15, Threshold. You can find us at joyoftrek.com slash links to send us your recommendations, support us on Patreons, or find us on Blue Sky, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to The Joy of Trek, and we'll see you out there.